wonder if we could turn in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 1 of the chapter. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and beginning our reading at the first verse. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abram begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Phares and Zara of Thamar or Tamar. And Phares begat Ezram. And Ezram begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab. And Aminadab begat Naasson. And Naasson begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab or Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias, and Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Uzziah, and Uzziah begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Ahab. Ahaz, or Ahaz, begat Hezekiah, and Hezekiah begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jaconias, and his brethren about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jaconias begat Shaltiel, and Shaltiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiab, and Abiab begat Elikim, and Elikim begat Azor, and Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Elihud, and Elihud begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abram to David were 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. We just unite in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we turn to Thee tonight in our Saviour's precious name. We do thank Thee for the birth of our Saviour, and we thank Thee for His coming to earth. We thank, Lord, of all of these generations and all of these people who had to fit into the line and into the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ and how the lives of all of these men were safeguarded and preserved, and how, Lord, thou dost work in their lives to bring it to the point where the Savior was born. And our God, we pray that thou wouldst work in lives tonight, and that thou wouldst bless us as we gather around thy word, for it is in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Now, we think about the opening verses of Matthew's gospel here, and I think that if it was the opening of any other book, if you'd gone to a book in the bookshop and lifted off the shelf and saw the first 
few lines of the first chapter of the book, probably you'd put it back on the shelf uh, again. And I think that many people just skip over these names. Even some of God's people will skip over the names. And those that do name, read the names, I'm sure that uh, in the vast majority of cases, people get little out of them. But we have to say that they're here for a reason. And we know that the Holy Spirit of God inspired Matthew to put these names into the gospel record here. And there is a reason for them, because Matthew well knew that the genealogy and the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ was important. He knew that when the Jews were looking for a Messiah, that they would have needed to know that the one that was born was from the house and lineage of David. We live in a day perhaps when genealogy and uh, lineage and family trees are becoming more important. We have people on the internet, you have ancestry, find my past, different ones that are, give you the tools to be able to trace your family tree. So there are a lot of people perhaps that are more interested in a family tree today than once they were. But of course in Israel, your bloodline was vital because if you had any taint in your bloodline, or if you weren't able to trace your bloodline back to, uh, to Jews right down your generation, then you would have been excluded from the worship of God. You would have been excluded from the community. You think of Herod, who was half uh, Edomian or half Edomite, and because of that, he was looked down upon by the people. And actually, it was something that Herod was very, uh, he was very, uh, ashamed of, and it was something that uh, he really uh, took to heart, and so he had the records destroyed so that nobody could trace their lineage uh, any more than he could. But here is Matthew. He wants to introduce the Messiah to a Jewish readership, and so he wants to make sure that Orthodox Jews are going to accept that the Lord Jesus Christ is from the house and lineage of David. And here's Matthew, he's a shrewd man, and he knows that this is something that is absolutely vital. And it is vital for us too, and it looks like a dry uh, portion of Scripture. It looks like something that we're not going to get anything out of. But when you do think about what has been said here, there are m many wonderful truths that we find in the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's my subject tonight. We want just to take a few minutes to look at the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. And first of all then, I want you to look at the synopsis of his lineage. The synopsis there of the family tree is given in verse 1. It says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that's uh, a verse that's going to tell you this, this is the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's given a synopsis of what is going to come and what is going to be set down here in the verses that follow. But I want you to see what Matthew does in a very deliberate way. There are a lot of very historical figures in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many figures here 
that are described and their history is given to us in the word of God. And they had significant part in the history of Israel. But I want you to notice the two that he picks out here in the synopsis at the start. They are David and Abram. He's the son of David and he is the son of Abram. And he doesn't put them in chronological order. It's David first and then he is the son of Abraham. And we think of here these men. David comes first. He's the father of, or he's the greatest ruler of Israel. And Abram then is the father of the nations. And we see here that the Son of God, the one who is born in Bethlehem's stable, is the son of David, and he's the son of Abram. Now, why are those two men picked out? Well, first of all, those two men are picked out because it emphasizes the promise of God. You see, we maybe would speak about the overall message of the Bible, and we say that the overall message of the Bible is the message of salvation by a Redeemer. And the Old Testament prophecies say that the Savior will come. The Gospels tell that the Savior is here. And then the epistles tell us about who the Savior was. And then the book of Revelation tells us that the Savior is coming again. But the underlying message is one of salvation and the unifying principle connecting the various revelation and uniting them in a harmonious whole is the thought of grace, the covenant of grace. And the covenant of grace is the most accurate and comprehensive term to describe the plan of redemption that God has. We think of how God revealed his covenant to different people, to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David. But we think of how that covenant of grace has been uh, revealed in different stages down through history, and it seemed to narrow in to Adam. The promise was to all mankind. Then it came to Abraham, and the uh, promise was going to be fulfilled through his seed. And then to David... It came down that this seed that was going to bless the world was going to come from the house and lineage of David. So it narrows down and it's becoming narrower and it's becoming more descriptive of who the one who is to come would be. But when we think about the covenant of grace, perhaps the two most significant promises that were made were those that were made to these men, Abram and David. To Abram, God said that in thy seed shall the nations of the earth be blessed. And then to David later on, he said, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And then he goes on in verse 16, thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And Matthew is um, aware here that when the Jews considered those verses, he knew that they knew that they were a messianic prediction. These were prophecies. And David, or Matthew is saying here, this is your Messiah. This is the one who fulfills these promises. 
This is the one who has come and the promise that was made in the Garden of Eden and the promise that was made to Abram and the promise that was made to David, it's all uh, going to be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And men and women, that's the message of God to you here. There is no other Savior. He's the one who fulfills all the conditions. He's the one who fulfills all of uh, what is needed. But not only does the uh, verse say something about the promise of God, that God fulfills his promises, but also it speaks about the prophecy of God, because here God fulfills the prophecies. We read the words there in verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abram. And it teaches us then that God keeps his word. You think of the promises in Genesis 15 and in Genesis 17 that were made to Abram and in in, uh, Isaiah 11 where there would be a root, uh, a branch uh, that would come out of the root of Jesse. And God is fulfilling his promises. He uh, does not let one word fall to the ground. And we think of Uh, how he's not a man that he should lie. You think of the mighty promises of God. It says he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And we're relying on the promises of God. I'm standing on the promises of God today, and I hope that you're standing on those promises too. So we read something or learn something about the promise of God and the prophecy of God but also about the providence of God. Because it says in Galatians 4 and 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. We think of how we thought last week about how Caesar Augustus was moved to ask for this census that was to take place and how he fitted in with the Jewish desire to go to their own city uh, to make the census. And we think of how uh, all of the uh, attempts that were made by Satan to uh, destroy the Lord Jesus, how that he put it in the heart of Herod to destroy the little children. Down through the ages, there were various attempts that were made to destroy this bloodline that is given here in the book of Matthew and also the one that's in the book of Luke. And God, we think of how Satan was determined that the Savior would not be born. And yet God sovereignly worked all these events together to make sure that the Lord Jesus would come at the right time and that he would come in the right place and he would be a Savior of the right order. And you think of how the... the, um, uh, work of God comes together, and sometimes we're afraid of what's happening, and we're afraid of what's taking place in the world. But God is still on his throne, and he will remember his own, uh, though trials may press us and burdens distress us. He never will lead us alone. Nothing will supplant or divert the purposes of God. And you think of the many precious promises of the gospel. When we think about God's power, that's a wonderful thing. But not only do I want you to see the synopsis 
of his lineage. But I want you to see the summary of his lineage. Go down now to verse 17. At the start, you have a synopsis really telling you what's going to happen. But at the end of the uh, generations of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a summary. And it says, So all the generations from Abram to David are 40 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And you can see there something of the humility of Christ. He came and he's born with a human lineage here. He is born with a human ancestry here. And you see there that it's divided into three groups of 14 generations. Now, you'll see that the first 14 generations describe the rise of the house of David. There it is, and it's getting stronger and stronger. In Abram's time, way back, they were just nomads in the desert. That's all that they were. And yet they became stronger and stronger until the time that David came forth. And this speaks of the rise of the house of David. And then the second grouping of 14 generations from David to the time when they were carried into captivity in Babylon shows the descent of the Davidic kingdom. David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then we find that the kings that come after it, by and large, although there are some exceptions, but by and large, we think of wicked kings like Manasseh there, uh, and how that eventually, because of the sins of the people, uh, they are led into the Babylonian captivity, and the kingdom plunges down into the mire, as it were, and then brought into captivity. And then the third grouping of 14 uh, starts at the lowest point of the Davidic kingdom. For a good while, it doesn't get any better. By the time that Joseph is born, uh, Joseph's not on a throne. Joseph's not sitting on the throne of David. But then comes the Savior. Then comes the Lord Jesus Christ. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom will have no end. And Matthew's glad to be able to announce the remedy to the ills of the nation. Here's one who comes to be the Redeemer. Here's one who comes to deal with the problem that's in the nation, the problem of sin, and to set up an everlasting throne and an everlasting kingdom. But I want you to see the many wicked men that there are in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at men like Rehoboam and Joram and Amnon and Jeconias, and all of those men had godly fathers. And we think of how even in families there's no guarantee. We do thank God for the fact that uh, the Lord in some ways uh, puts his hand upon our children, but it doesn't guarantee anything. These were men that were brought up by godly uh, fathers, and they still departed from the things of God. They were rebels. But I wonder, would we be surprised to think of the evil people here that are in the ancestry of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
the scriptures don't cover over the depravity of men. If we were writing the New Testament, we would probably cover over these men, the wicked characters that they were, and we would think to ourselves, well, in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would have been whiter than white. But we think of how the Lord Jesus Christ came in humility. He came into this line that was uh, popped by evil men. He was safeguarded by his virgin birth, of course, and we'll come to that. But nevertheless, we think of all the darkness and the evil of this world. And David himself, even though he is a man after God's own heart, he sinned too. And we think of how God had to come in grace and in mercy, and he had to come in humiliation into this world. And out of love and mercy, he came to be our Savior. It speaks of the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ here. But also it speaks of the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something that I want you to see here. We've noticed, and you'll notice that Matthew divides the generations of the Lord Jesus Christ into three groups of 14. Why 14? Well, um, there is something, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's called the Jewish Gematria. Now, if you've never heard of this before, you might think that I'm um, speaking of some secret code in the Bible. You get programs on and things on the internet about secret codes in the Bible, which are a lot of rubbish. But the Jews did use a system a way back whereby they gave letters in the Jewish alphabet a numerological value so that each letter had a number associated with it. And you think about 666, which is the number of the beast, and that comes from that. And so it is legitimate. It wasn't something that was primary, but they might use that. The Jews might use that in order to um, uh, elucidate and to um, exegete the Bible. And we think of the name David here, the lords of the house and lineage of David. And there are no vowels um, in the Hebrew. So the name David would be the equivalent of DVD in our language. And in the Jewish Gematria, the name, or the um, uh, D, would be four. The V is six. So you have four, six, four, which makes 14. And that's the reason why three groups of 14 generations. Now, what is Matthew saying here? Well, he's saying that the one who is to be the Messiah has to complete the group of 14 generations. Somebody that came in the generation before the Lord Jesus Christ could not count. Somebody that came after in the 13th generation, somebody that came after in the 15th generation would not count. It had to be one that was born in the 14th generation. And that's how Matthew is coming to prove that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one. He is the Messiah. Only he completes the generation. Only he completes the table. 
And we know that he's the only Savior. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. He is the Savior and no other. He is exclusively the Savior. But not only do we think about the humility of Christ and the exclusivity of Christ, but also there's the inclusivity of Christ. Look at some of the names in the list. Look at verse 5. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab. Rechab was Rahab. Now, who is Rahab? Well, we read about Rahab in the book of Joshua. She was an inhabitant of Jericho, and we know that the book of Joshua calls her Rahab the harlot. Again, the Bible doesn't cover over any of these things. Later on, she's married to Salmon, perhaps one of the spies that came to meet her. And she's the father, or she's the mother of Boaz in the line of David here. But you think of this woman. She is a harlot. And yet, many would have said, she's excluded. She, she is a Canaanite. She's a harlot. She can't be in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in a line that comes down through the Father, you can see that she's one of the few women that is mentioned here, and she's mentioned specifically. Why is that? To show us that the Lord is inclusive. He brings in the Canaanites. He brings in the deepest dyed sinner. He brings in all who will trust in him. And then you'll see another one of the women that is mentioned here. Look again at Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Who was Ruth? Ruth was a Moabites. She was among the people who were the enemies of Israel. She was among the people that were excluded, as it were. And we find again that none is excluded from the Lord Jesus Christ. He brings in those that are blighted by sin. He brings in those who are strangers to him. And he says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We see something here of the um, summary of his lineage. But one more thing that I want you to see, and that's the singularity of his lineage. There is a sense in which the family tree here um, indicates the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was just like everybody else. And the thought is that the Lord had to come to be one of us. He is perfect man. He is God with us. He's God and man in two distinct natures, yet one person forever. And he came to identify with us. He came to be with us. And he's still with those that trust in him. He's with you tonight, if you know him as your Savior. But look that this, he's a human being, but he's not just an ordinary human being. Look at the purity of the Savior. Look at verses 15 and 16. And I want you to read it very carefully. It says, And Elihud begat Eliezer, but Eliezer begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, 
who is called Christ. Now, after all the begats in that portion of Scripture, it doesn't say that Jesus was begat of Joseph. He was not Joseph's natural son. And you can see the word begat down there. If you look at verse 5, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obad begat Jesse, and you go down to the end of the passage, and all of these begats. But then look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And there is the miraculous There is the virgin birth. There is the one who is pure. Yes, he's come of the lineage here. He is recognized in the lineage, but he's not of the lineage. He is born of the Holy Ghost. It says in Isaiah 7 and 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Lord Jesus He's fully man, but he's also fully God. And he was not able to do any sin. And he kept the law of God perfectly for us so that his righteousness might be imputed to us and given to us. And we think of how the Son of Man was come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we think of the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's man, but he is perfect man. We also think about the royalty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the lineage here. Who is concerned about a lineage? It's the royal family. Right up to today, there there are disputes. Harry um, doesn't feel that he should be the spare. (coughs) And they always talked about an heir and a spare. And Harry is rebelling against all of that today. And it's because of the way that the inheritance is set up. And this genealogy here, it's all about inheritance. It's all about determining who is of the royal line. Who is the rightful king? Who is the one who holds the throne rightfully? And here we find it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the rightful heir. He's the rightful king. He's king of kings, and he is Lord of lords. And what we need to do is bow before him, and what we need to do is own him as Lord and Savior of our hearts. But there's one more thing, just very briefly. Not only do we see his purity and his royalty, but I want you to see his historicity, because it proves us here that the Lord Jesus Christ is real. He had a real lineage. He had a real birth. Now you think of many in this day, and we think of how the Lord Jesus um, is uh, run down, and people say he never existed, and that he never was on this earth. There are many who look to the Greek gods or the pagan gods. You saw them out there on the shortest day out at Stonehenge, and down in the south there at Navan, or at um, the fort down there in the Boyne, and they were all out worshipping nature. 
and all of these things. And they're bowing down to stones. And you could see people kissing the rocks and the old monuments. But these monuments can do nothing for them. These monuments can't in any way meet with them. The old gods, they're only myths. There is no evidence of them. There is no written evidence. There's no archaeological evidence. There is no evidence that they ever existed. But what about the Lord Jesus Christ? We have evidence. You think of the Mormons. And the Mormons believed that the children of Israel went over to America um, millennia ago and they settled in America. But there's no evidence of it. There's no um, archaeological evidence that has ever been found that proves what they contain. But there is evidence of what we read in the Bible. There is evidence of the existence of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is evidence of the effect that he has made in the world. There is archaeological evidence of the people that are mentioned here in the gospel story. And you can see the evidence of these people. They were real people. And the people that are mentioned here in this list were real people. And the Lord Jesus Christ is real. He's the real king. He is the real savior. Some people would criticize Christianity has been nothing but a myth. But it's not. Myths don't have real genealogies. Myths don't have real archaeological artifacts that are left behind. Uh, myths don't have the effects that have come down to us in this time. Sir William Mitchell Ramsey was a Scottish university professor who lived in the latter 1800s, the early 1900s, and he began his career as a critic of the Bible. And he started out to try and prove that the book of Acts it was not in any way historical. It was just a myth that it was really, it was going to prove that Luke, what he described in the book of Acts never really happened. And so he went and he was amazed that the evidence that he did find. And eventually his mind began to be changed until the fact where he was willing to say that the book of Acts contained a first-rate historical account. And it was written, he said, by a man who was intimately familiar with the details of the world that he described. Men and women, this is not a myth. This is not a story. And the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a myth or a story. And the cross it's not a myth or a story. It is real. And that's why you need a real story, not something that's made up, not something that we're telling you about, not something that we are trying to foist upon you. But this is real salvation from a real Savior. May you come and trust the real Savior tonight and close in with his great offer of mercy. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for these great um, lessons that we have learned from the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for the one who came in humility 
but who really came to be our Savior and to be our Lord and our King. Lord, bless thy word and be with us now as we close this meeting, which in Jesus' precious name, I would ask these things. Amen. Amen. Turn over to the hymn 86. It's another one of these that we don't um, often sing, but it's, Ere the blue heavens were stretched abroad, from everlasting was the word. It's really um, John chapter 1 and John's account, really, of the birth of the Lord. And we will, um, well, um, we'll sing verses 1, 2, 3, and 6. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 6 of the hymn. And we'll stand, please, as we sing. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the glories of Emmanuel, God with us. Bless us now. We pray that thou wouldst take us to our homes in safety. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, uh, the, uh, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people throughout this short and uncertain scene of time and until Jesus comes again. Bless us abundantly, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these.